Hi, you're listening to From the Lighthouse. My name is Ned Bukarizzo, and I'm an undergraduate English student at Macquarie University. Today, I'm joined by Emma Batchelor, author of Now That I See You, a gripping autofiction detailing the breakdown of a relationship after one partner comes out to the other as transgender. Now That I See You is the winner of the 2021 Australian Vogel Literary Award, an annual prize for unpublished manuscripts by writers under the age of 35, which has launched the careers of dozens of Australian novelists. Now That I See You is currently available from Alan and Unwin. Emma, welcome to From the Lighthouse. Thank you for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. It's lovely to be here. Um, so what's it like to go from being an unpublished author to an award-winning author straight away, <laughs> immediately? It still feels very surreal and it's just over a year uh, on now from when the announcement was made that my manuscript was the winner of the award last year. And, yes, it still feels very odd and unreal. And I found out maybe six months before and that in itself was such an odd thing. I received an email from a publisher at Allen & Unwin asking to meet me to have coffee and there was no hint that I had won or anything like that, just the offer to meet. And so I thought perhaps I'm shortlisted. And my emotional response at just receiving that email, I just burst into tears and couldn't believe it. And then when I met Annette, the publisher at Allen & Unwin, a few weeks after that email, I and she told me I had won, I think I was shocked, but I think I'd got all my emotion out in just receiving an email asking to speak to me. And so I played it much more cool in that conversation. But it's been, yeah, I think throughout the whole process, I felt like it won't be true and that someone will contact me and say there's a mistake and we didn't mean for that to happen. Or even still seeing my book in the bookshop, it still yeah. feels unbelievable. Well, there must be a lot of a lot of pressure too, right? Um, to go straight from um, being unpublished to <laughs> being an award-winning novelist. Um, it's kind of a big, big thing to follow up from. Um, have you found Have you found that? Have you found any pressure in it's put undue pressure on your you and your writing? Um, in some ways, I think there comes a weight of expectation. I think if people come to a work knowing nothing about it other than it's already won an award or that somebody else has deemed it to be worthy of something, that does, I guess, create a certain expectation for the reader as to what they might encounter. But I guess that happens quite, quite separate to me. I think when I feel nervous or that there's expectations is doing things like this or doing speaking events where I have to I guess <laughs> perform in person and have you know suitable things to say about the writing process and my work and what I try to achieve and and how I've come to be here and that can be daunting because it's I think never as glamorous or as exciting as just the title of award-winning author. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so uh, now that I see you is described as autofiction, which is a um, a genre that's really been shooting up in in sort of popularity and attention in sort of the 
more broader literary sphere recently. Um, could you could you maybe define in your own terms what autofiction is to you and, and how it applies to now that I see you? Yeah, how I think about it, and I guess it's a label that I, I put to the work after having wrote it because it, it felt the most, I guess, accurate term to describe what it turned out that I had created, which was to me a blending of of truth and fiction and using myself as a character to explore things that had happened to me and I guess where the fiction element of that comes in for me everything that happened is based in truth and the characters are real and based on real people but how I wanted to tell the story was in a more fictionalized way than as a memoir because I really wanted I guess for me as I was writing psychologically it helped me to think of us as characters and not as real people and that just gave me a little bit of distance and then I think for the reader I wanted there to be blurriness and nuance in how they experienced us and hopefully for the reader to to think about us as characters and me as unreliable and yeah for there to be more space in interpretation yeah that that actually that actually um brings up one of my later questions which is that uh in a lot of the criticism in read of your work online um it's a very common thing to see people saying they feel like the narrator is an is an unreliable narrator mm. that, that Emma is an unreliable narrator mm. um and I feel like that's almost almost missing the point because it's so 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 tightly focalized to Emma's perspective that of course it's it's her perspective of what's going on of course we're all unreliable narrators so how, how, how do you deal with criticism like that where the the distinction between Emma the character and her actions and feelings and the things she goes through in the text how do you how do you distinguish criticism against emma the character versus emma the writer <laughs> it's very difficult and i guess i've i've made that very difficult for myself and in choosing to write this story this way and i and not really knowing that the outcome <laughs> would be winning this award and having the work published and being read and critiqued in this way, uh, I guess it's something that I I just hadn't really prepared myself for. And it is really confronting to have people, I guess to have made myself so vulnerable, me the person as well as me the writer, through telling this story through me as a character in that snapshot of time and it hurts to hear and see things that critique me but I I think I just have to keep coming back to that that is a version of myself that I've presented in a particular way from a particular point in time and that I like I've lived <laughs> my life since then and the way I think about things and the way that I experience things has changed and I 
it was really important to me because I was writing with some distance from some of those experiences that I I present them as they happened and as they were and not to to soften myself or to make my behavior seem better than it was because I I regret things that I said and thought and did and I'm ashamed of but I think softening them or pretending they didn't happen or 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 trying to make myself appear better than I was, it's not really serving the story. And I I think I really hoped that it portrayed an accurate picture of what being in that circumstance is. And it means you don't behave the best <laughs> all yeah. the time. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I really got that. Um that sense of, of vulnerability and, and of exposing yourself. I think, I think writers probably almost always feel like they are exposing a very personal mm. part of themselves when they publish something, but this in particular, in, in both from the form and in terms of, um, in terms of content is, is you've made yourself very, very vulnerable. And, and I, I really appreciated that. What was it like translating diary entries into a novel were they drawn from actual diary entry how much were they um were they altered in in various drafts um did you how did you how did you strike that balance between turning it into a, a story with that mm. makes sense and without going in and making yourself look better or changing <laughs> things how they how they were yeah it was difficult and I guess became more refined with the number of drafts that I did and how I I started the process was taking my actual journals that I'd kept and actual emails that we'd sent to each other and text messages that I'd kept and putting them together in a chronological order and that first document that I pulled together was almost something for myself to help me make sense of what had happened and I guess to look for patterns and things like that and when I had that I really felt like there was something more there and I guess the threads of what could be a story for other people not just for myself seemed to stand out to me and so I decided to I guess the time period that I wanted to look over and I'd only started my own journaling practice like very much towards the end after my partner and I had separated. And so some of those journals are very similar to what I had journaled at the time but altered and put into a slightly different template. But for things that had happened before then, I really only had like little notes or like snippets of emotions or like this happened today or we did this today or I was sad or I was hurt or Jessie was hurt or whatever. And so I kind of pulled together a chronology of all those little snippets and then started to build out from there. So I guess it's as accurate as my memory can be of recalling those things and then yeah drawing from what I had noted and taken down and then I guess it became a lot about editing 
and deciding what to include and what not and like what space to give and whether to talk about something in the moment that it happened or as a remembrance in time in the future. And that was a really, I guess that was where a lot of the crafting came. It came from having laid everything down and then deciding yeah what goes where and when and yeah. when to give certain information to the audience um and 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 what was it like because obviously this was not an experience you went through alone um so what what was it like sort of speaking not speaking for Jess and Suzanne in particular but um mm-hmm. speaking to your experiences and perceptions of them during this period how how did how did that work yeah, it was something I really wanted to be very sensitive about because it's not wholly my story and I felt comfortable, I guess it was still uncomfortable, but more comfortable talking <laughs> to my own experience and my own perspective. But so much of what I experienced was alongside somebody who I loved and will still love and is very important to me. And I couldn't tell my story without touching on their story. But I was very, yeah, conscious not to speak to that experience because it's not my own. I can only speak to my experience around that. And I think being conscious too of being a partner, you're privileged to so much personal information and it's things that are disclosed to you but also things that you see and that's very intimate and I I guess I didn't want to betray that trust so kind of knowing or making a judgment of what felt able to be shared because it was important to the story and of course I want the reader to gain a kind of a full experience of us as characters, but then things that are so personal and private to us, the real people as a couple and what's not appropriate to share. But I was very lucky, Suzanne, she read each of my drafts as I was writing them. And so she gave me full blessing to (laughs) describe her and make use of her as a character, uh, which was very generous of her and I felt safe in that but with my partner we were separated when I finished the manuscript and submitted it and uh, she hadn't read it until after so after I'd submitted it but before I knew that it had won and she knew I was going to write something about it, just not what it would be. And through her mum, Suzanne, she knew kind of the process that I was going through and the trajectory it was on. But for her to read it and to, I mean, it's very difficult. <laughs> it's difficult for me to read. It's difficult for her to read. But for her to say that it felt very true to what, we had been through together and that she appreciated the kindness in the way that I had handled her and handled us and our story that meant a lot to me and that's still the most I guess important criticism and opinion that I care about. Yeah. Okay well um, we, we keep touching on sort of ideas of uh, perception and perspective 
and um, recognition and, and I guess our failure to recognise others for who they are. Um, so I, I sort of, the, the way the book is focalised is really interesting to me because you have both the diary and the email entries, which are, I suppose, closer to the, to the events that they're describing, while that there are the most uh, sort of traditionally written parts are flashbacks several years in the past. But I feel like those are almost the most, with time, have become the most accurate sort of depictions of the relationship. Could you maybe talk, in, talk about how, you've, uh, how you focalise the text? That's really interesting that you experience those parts that way. And I think that feels nice to me because they are <laughs> they're moments in our relationship that I guess feel very important to me. And I guess with the distance from the time span that we spend the most time in, uh, I guess are the most likely to be misremembered, but it's interesting that they feel clearer to you. I added those parts in last. So when I submitted my manuscript, those sections weren't in there. And then when Alan and Unwin let me know that I was winning the award, I had the opportunity to revisit the manuscript before publication. So that was something that I added then. And the reason I did was I guess comes back to that unreliability and I felt upon rereading it that as a reader coming fresh to I guess us <laughs> as a couple in our relationship you really only had my word as the narrator that it had ever been healthy and positive and good and that all the the things that I as a character was I guess, trying to hold on to and preserve in the relationship as it changed so much that they were, I guess, real <laughs> or tangible things. And so I wanted to be able to show moments like that, that were small and intimate and precious and I guess gave a sense from not the, my perspective as a character, kind of allowing the reader to experience us together from the outside, both of us. And that felt really, I guess, I think it added a, a different lens <laughs> to yeah, the experience. Definitely. definitely. Yeah. You, you, see, you see, um, I think you see, you're able to see uh, Jess for, uh, without the the version that Emma might be, that might exist in, in Emma's perception, basically. Yeah. yeah. Which is difficult because it's still me, like, creating. Yeah, of course. Of course. <laughs> that, but I, I'm glad because that was the sense that I wanted to try and give, mm. I think. Now that I see you as a novel about coming out, um, Jesse's clearly, but also uh, your own coming out. Um, can you talk about maybe the, the way these were differently represented in the text and, and how that reflects your own experiences with, with coming out? Yeah, it's something that I personally still find difficult, I guess, to realise within myself because I'd never 
questioned my sexuality before and the relationship that Jesse and I entered into was obviously started very differently to what it became a few years in. And for me, that presented, I guess, the first opportunity I'd had to kind of explore my sexuality in real time alongside somebody who was questioning their own gender identity. And that was complicated for me because I think I I did then and I tend to still position my sexuality in relation to this other person and not in relation to myself or something that's come inherently from me. And I often wonder if we hadn't gone through this together, would this be something that I would have discovered about myself? And I'm not sure. And I think as time has gone on, I've felt more comfortable, I guess, claiming more of a queer identity for myself. And I, it's interesting to reflect on my adolescence and childhood, I've only ever had sexual relationships with cisgender men before. Uh, but realizing, I guess, times and feelings of being attracted to femininity and things like that, that I, I guess just hadn't made sense to me at the time because I, I just didn't look very closely at them. So I think rethinking my past experiences of attraction and then reflecting on how fluid that has been for me during this process and now thinking if I guess there's no way to know without having actually been in another relationship but if I were thinking actually I think I'm I don't know if I would ever date like um, a cisgender man again or if I'm really that attracted to masculinity so I think it's very I guess still uncertain to me and I feel more comfortable sitting within that certainty and also knowing it's probably something I'm not going to figure out just because I I'm quite monogamous I'm quite demisexual <laughs> so it's probably not something I'm I'm going to figure out anytime soon and kind of being okay with that and thinking about that as as a part of me and my own identity and not specifically in relation to someone else but me uncovering that yeah. is thanks to being in a relationship with somebody else and how they've changed yeah and I think I think just the I think that comes across really well in the text as well, just the, how the sort of the tumultuousness, the change that your relationship went through forced you to sort of question your own assumptions about yourself. Mm. And it comes across in uh, very uh, sort of matter-of-factly in the text, in, in, in sort of contrast with Jess's struggle and what Jess goes through in the text. I think, um, I think it's a very interesting contrast. Thank you. So um, trans literature at the moment is experiencing quite a bit of a exciting boom, um, especially since the publication of Detransition Baby. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's uh, affected the success of the book? Do you identify now that I see you as, as part of that continuum? Did you before or do you now? Um, what do you think? Yeah, 
that's a really interesting question. I think it sits alongside a lot of that work, but I hope, and I guess it's part of um, where some of the criticism of the work comes from too, is like, what is this book even allowed <laughs> to be in that space because it's written by a cisgender person? And I think I thought about that a lot while I was writing, and I guess I thought about that and what I was trying to say and how that sat alongside a lot of the trans texts that I had read and that my partner had read. And I did feel, I guess, wary of, yeah, I guess just feeling that responsibility and not wanting to speak to something that's not my experience, but also that the experience of people around trans people that is still it's something that's not talked about very much or written about very much and that is very isolating as well and so that was something I felt while it's not the exact same experience it's one that's happening parallel to and is very interrelated and that in itself <laughs> is a valid experience. You know, one is not more important than the other. And I guess because of who I am as a cisgender woman, that gives me inherently a more privileged platform to share that story than perhaps a trans author or a trans author of colour. So it's really complicated, like these systemic problems in the publishing industry of whose stories are being told and being preferenced and I'm I think both stories are underrepresented so I'm glad that it has received the recognition that it is and that it exists in the way that it is but I hope that people engage with my work alongside work by trans writers uh, speaking to the trans experience and I would yeah, hope that no one would come to my work and be like, yes, I understand the trans experience now because you won't and you can't. And so I think it sits within an ecosystem that's complicated and flawed. Yeah. Um, yeah, you talk, you talk about that in the novel, um, just the struggle of finding works that you could relate to that, that spoke to what you were going through um, mm. because a lot of the... Um, a lot of the perspectives from uh, partners of people who were transitioning uh, were often very, I guess, bitter or um, clearly in a lot of pain. Uh, do you are you glad you've you've um, altered that? You've you've put something out there that someone else can look to and say that I can relate to this. I am, and I hope that people do. And I've been able to connect with some other people who've had a similar experience through the publication and promotion of this work, which has meant so much to me. But I still find it so hard to, I guess, yeah, to connect with people who, who understand or have felt something similar. So it still feels, while it has opened up space and I have been able to connect with more people, it still feels like rare and special to come across somebody like that. And I hope that what I've written does give comfort to someone who might find themselves themselves in a similar position 
but I think hopefully is is universal enough that people can relate to couples going through any really big change and how that might affect either one of them. So, yeah, I hope there's a specificity, but still a universality of experience. Um, And just before we go, um, you mentioned uh, just before that uh, some of the other trans texts you read um, uh, prior to the writing of um, Now That I See You. Mm. Um, Were any of these particularly inspirational for the writing of it or is there any that you'd like to recommend to from the lighthouse listeners yes i really got a lot from the writing of andrea long chen she's an american trans writer and has a a book called females which i found really interesting as I guess an artist and as a trans person and kind of how those things came together and she has a lot of essays that I find really good I love Detransition Baby as well of course that came out after but that was something that again I think just presented trans lives in a really three-dimensional nuanced way because so often for trans writers to have their work published it has to be memoir and it has to be tell-all and like give access to I guess a lot of things and are written for the cisgender gaze rather than for other trans people or just to be an amazing story in its own right and so I think that I that book being published in the way it was and receiving the recognition that it has is really, really important. So I, yeah, definitely recommend both of them. Okay. Well, um, thank you so much for um, coming on the show, Emma. That's um, all we have time for today. Now That I See You is currently available from Alan and Unwin. It's fantastic. Um, I highly recommend anybody who's listening and interested to read it. So uh, thanks so much for coming on the show, Emma. Thank you so much. It's been really lovely.